Hello and welcome to What The Lux with me, Fred Moore, and me, Anand Sharma. Together we lead Matter of Form, a design consultancy specialising in brand, digital experience and content. And this is a podcast that calls time on tired ideas of luxury. Alongside industry luminaries and thought leaders, we explore what truly defines category-leading products and services. We're delighted today to welcome Rosie Shepherd to the podcast. She is one of the best connected, most energetic and most knowledgeable people in the luxury industry. She runs Shepherd Communications, but also founded the Luxury Communications Council, an invitation-only network of luxury experts whose members are thought leaders and key decision makers in the luxury marketplace. We're excited today to get to chat to a true luxurian, a font of knowledge and on the pulse when it comes to the trends and themes that are shaping the luxury industry. Rosie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Great to be with you today. And you're on top of so much of the themes and topics that interest us at Matter of Form. But firstly, just to start, it'd be great to hear a little bit about your background and how did you end up as an expert specialist in the luxury sector? Sure. So um, I've been in the sector for about 18 years. I was always actually communication agency side for a, a number of years of that, maybe like 14 years of that. You know, I launched Etihad Airways, many, many luxury hotels, luxury retailers such as Selfridges and, and big brands such as Peroni Nasser Azuro, which was fascinating. A bit of fashion, a bit of beauty. I've pretty much done done everything. And then actually did the same in New York for a number of years, came back and then took a role as global head of comms and marketing at Rocco Forte Hotels, where I was for five years, which was um, an, an in-house role, my first in-house role. And and from there, that sort of very much was my springboard for luxury, the founding the Luxury Communications Council and indeed Shepherd Communications that came a little bit later. It was very much sort of a very, very traditional British brand. And I just wanted to bring it up to date and make it more relevant and had lots of conversations in the industry. And lots of people were feeling the same about the industry at the time. So so it sort of all stemmed from there, really. And um, the LCC sort of came together about five years ago. Uh, Shepherd Communications about three years ago. And um, yeah, it's it's, uh, it's going well. And what, what was the driving factor that led you to start the LCC, Luxury Communications Council? I'm sure it was a hell of a lot of work, still is, and a real investment, not just of your time, but of your soul and your energy. Um, why did you want to do that? Well, first of all, I'll just sort of give a bit of an explanation. So we're very much a, net, a network of communication and marketing experts. We, we all came together with to form a collective to really derive the industry forward. We host events, we publish industry reports, we provide sort of troubleshooting services and things like that, very much to sort of equip and inspire our members. And our members are very much top of the game. They're, they're CMOs, they're marketing, they're commerce directors from all the different vertical sectors. So it's the French champagne houses, it's the Italian fashion houses, it's the Swiss watches, et cetera, et cetera. And brands are sort of, you know, it's the big, it's the big boys. It's the Chanel's, the Stella McCartney's, the Burberry's, it's Condé Nast, it's Amman, it's Dorchester Collection, Soho House Group, Farfetch, Estée Lauder, Moe Hennessey, Laurent Perrier, et cetera, et cetera. And I think there was a real sense of change afoot, I guess, five years ago with, with so many new technologies, new audiences, new markets. And many brands were sort of clinging to this sense of old luxury, really over-relying on sort of heritage and age-old messaging about craftsmanship. And it struck me and and others that, that sort of marketing comes with very much at the forefront of knowing about innovations, not just in luxury, sort of across across the world. And so any change within these sort of luxury brands would need to start from us. 
Um, and and we basically all discussed this. The people who then became founding members and um, discussed this as a, as a collective and, and decided to do something about it. And and you know I then took the role as as the founder and and very much do the legwork. But it very much went from there. And it's basically two real sort of objectives. Firstly, to sort of drive the industry forward as a collective force, but also to allow the sort of marketing comms function to be at the very best level it can be by inspiring and equipping our members. But what's interesting there is, I I think it's implicit, not explicit, is you're you're kind of saying that the luxury industry had become a bit staid, dusty, old-fashioned, not up for innovation. Do you think there's some, some truth in that? Absolutely. And I think it's actually 2023 has been a real step change for that. And, you know, I I think that for many reasons, and we can talk about that, you know, whether it's, you know, diversity, inclusion, whether it's, you know, talking about sustainability, whether it's talking about, you know, all these big themes in, in the technological developments. But yes, like we weren't taking advantage of all these amazing new markets and new tools and, and new audiences. We we just weren't. And there were some exceptions. Obviously, fashion industry has creative directors who are very much sort of there to basically, I guess, be at the forefront of these things and, and champion this sort of thing. But but otherwise, you know, there were lots of brands just clinging, especially British brands are very guilty of just clinging to their British heritage for dear life, which, you know, arguably isn't necessarily something to be, to be celebrated at the moment is being British. Anyway, we won't go into that. But um but, you know, so we wanted to form a really sort of international group and, and, and actually have that real headspace to, to share our learnings and, and, and discuss these really big things and learn from amazing people. And our first ever speakers were sort of set the bar really high was the president of Condé Nast and the editor of Vogue. Um, and that sort of set the bar high. And then we sort of what we do is just we just get the very, very most experts in their fields yeah we, we very much consider it a learning exercise you know yes it's social unless people make connections but people are there to learn and, and sit there with their paper you know pen and papers and and it really does inform their strategies and i think it's it's important what you're doing because you know i question whether luxury is actually an industry really because obviously airlines is an industry banking's industry retail's an industry luxury is more perhaps about the consumer, the quality, the craft, the product, and but anyway, the description of luxury and people involved in in that um, certainly with the British hat on, it's a really important part of our economy. It's something we can and should do really, really well. It, it perhaps needs more people like you bringing people together to to help. The, the sum is greater than the parts, I guess. Yeah, well, we we we've basically grown really slowly. It wasn't, you know, we were never sort of trying to form this big thing. It was it was very much about. Exactly that, making the industry the best it can be and, and, and sharing learnings and, and so many amazing partnerships have come about as a result of it. So much inspiration and education and even like jobs, job swaps and something like that. So London's been a real success story. Um, and we have now started our international expansion. So Dubai is well underway, which is amazing. New York, we're hoping is later this year. And we've got, you know, real international ambitions beyond because, you know, it is our customer is a universal customer, a, a, a global customer. You know, our high net worth individuals and ultra high net worth individuals aren't refined to one geolocation. So, you know, we, we really need to be sort of getting these learnings from across the world. And and I think an international LCC collectives, you know, across across the globe can enable that, which would be great. On that, what do you see as the key differences between what you do in Britain in the Middle East and what you might 
do in America? Is it vastly different or is it is it pretty much the same with local nuances? I probably have put in a bit of a red herring there but because many of our London-based uh, marketing comms directors very much have a, either a European or global remit or, or some sort of, you know, combination of that. So, so it's not so much that we sort of segment it, learnings market by market. Um, I think it's just there are nuances across the globe that you know we can we can definitely you know benefit from. Consumer behaviours in in um, the Middle East are different. They have different priorities. They have different patterns, etc. So um, so there are nuances, but I think it's about us just yeah being on the forefront and learning from each other. And just for you personally, what what have been on this journey? What have been the highlights for you with the LCC? You know what? I'm going to say something a little bit controversial, but COVID was a really great time for us, <laughs> which is actually against all the odds because I was in total despair because we had to cancel all of our events for the year and everything like that. And we did go online and we did them, and and actually they were incredibly well attended, which was amazing because I think people were really looking for that connection at that point, but also people were really wanting to learn from each other, and it was the first time I'd really seen companies that were you know our competitors by definition really break down those walls and share and and what we did was for each sort of industry vertical being crass but say like watches and jewelry we lumped together fashion hospitality etc we we basically did open agenda calls where there was just nothing you know set in terms of well an agenda but we just said okay what do we need to talk about obviously we were getting lots of learnings from china at that point because they were well ahead you know the the country had had been through a lot ahead of Europe, and um, and and we we took those learnings, and everyone's CEOs wanted to know what the other companies were doing, and it was kind of like this amazing time where, you know, I won't name names, but like these all these companies were just you know sharing and sharing and sharing, and I actually really expected the walls to go back up afterwards, and 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 they have a little bit, but but not as much as as certainly before. So I think that was a really pivotal moment for the industry to sort of actually like just really driving in the same direction and it was great to, to see everyone help each other and you know on a, on a day-to-day basis so that was really great that was a real highlight for me um i think i think another highlight has been working with pr we we, we curate their sort of most influential list which is called the power book um for the luxury section and we started these dinners which is probably one of my like favorite times of the year the lcc members are probably some of the most sociable and connected people in London. So getting them all together in the evening, which, you know, we don't really do as part of the LCC proposition because it's, you know, it's basically part of the working day. It's, you know, it's it's not jolly as such. But seeing everyone come together for our dinners that we curated and, and letting their hair down was has been really fun. I just wonder as well, are you able to draw out the things that keep your members up at night? Are you able to observe any themes, sort of a couple of things that are really on their mind at the moment or perennially? Well, look, I mean, there's there's so many changes all the time in, in consumer demand, new tools, data regulations. Suddenly there's VAT regulation changes, shifts in different geographical markets, sort of in terms of priority markets. You know, it's all about China, then maybe it shouldn't all be about China. You know, now we've got open source AI. It, it just goes on and on. And I think with with all these shifts, does come great opportunity. And and at, at LCC, we really, as I've mentioned earlier, we we do share these deep insights and learnings as to how these can be taken advantage of, rather than sort of putting our heads in the sand, as per that sort of old luxury way that we've referred to. So I think it, it is it is obviously specific, and it's specific to people's roles and everything and but I mean there are just many things and I just think yeah rather than challenges we, we should see them as opportunities. I would talk about innovation a bit later but just actually getting back to the, the 
true essence of luxury and your thoughts on it. Um, we at Matter of Form, we, I guess, you know, with our innovation hat on and our, our brand hat on, we perhaps see ourselves as the outsiders challenging conventional notions of luxury. But I think that's well understood. What does luxury mean to you personally? Luxury traditionally is about rarity, right? So, you know, that, that used to be precious materials or handcrafted one-offs or, or something that's out of reach of others. And that might be by price tag or by rarity or whatever it might be. But um, the thing now that seems to be valued as much as these is actually this sort of time to switch off rest, privacy, sleep. And, and that's sort of, I think it's partly COVID where health naturally became, you know, a luxury. But I think it's also a bit of a backlash against this sort of productivity wave that, you know, that sort of startup culture, hustle culture that you have to be busy, 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 go, go, go. New luxury that people seem to be prioritizing at the moment. And certainly what it does mean to me as a, as a as a busy person, as a you know, I've got kids and and a couple of companies, and you know, <laughs> time to switch off, rest, privacy, sleep, like that that restorative moment seemed to be really important. You know, this came into conversation in, in many luxury brands last year, and I think it still rings really true. Gucci actually even did a they were partnered with I think it was a um, Finnish health tech brand to create this sleep tracker ring. You know, this eighteen karat gold sleep tracker ring that costs just under a thousand dollars selfridges are always a brand who are always at the forefront so you know i i always encourage people to look at what they're doing because they're always thinking you know steps ahead and you know they have sleep pop-ups and sleep sessions hosted in their cinema encouraging power naps and things like that so it's always sort of consumer-led and then and then quickly companies like gucci like selfridges even like rosewood hotels estee lauder they're always on the forefront and you know I'll, i always cite them as great examples so yeah so in my view, luxury has changed enormously. And, and you know, we've, we've talked about, you know, the luxury of things, luxury experiences, luxury of time in the past. But I think this, like, I guess it's just using time differently. This taking a moment is now very much at the forefront of what people want and and therefore what brands are, are, um, are either talking about or indeed facilitating. I, I guess also it's it's interesting because the luxury space is popular at the moment. It's becoming quite crowded. Are there any brands that really stand out to you at the moment who are doing something really special, really remarkable? I mean, many, to be honest. I think I think there's been this real step change in 2023, which I mentioned earlier, when diversity and inclusion went really mainstream for luxury brands. And I think that those brands who've sort of been championing that, I mean, over the last few years, there's been like really some really like big leaders in terms of innovation, whether it's, you know, whether it's Farfetch or Burberry and all those amazing examples of cool stuff that we've seen people do. Um, but I think this diversity and inclusion piece is, is, you know, a much more meaningful step change than sort of that potentially that sort of just innovation piece. I think Edward Enifel's work with Vogue was really important for representation and it's prompted a lot of brands to sort of, I guess, play catch up actually. It's, yes, part of their communication and that's sort of been filtering through for the last few years, I guess. But also it's like filtered into their workplace policies and their amazing customer journeys and actually even their products, which is which is really cool. Like And like exactly where... A luxury brand should should be leading society, you know, not playing catch up, and and I think that's finally happened, uh, which is really amazing and and really exciting. And and I one of my favourite examples is that Estee Lauder. Um, I told you I'd be mentioning them again. I just think they're they're always just seem to be on the front foot, which is really cool. They've launched this app with AI to assist visually impaired customers, 
Um, and actually, I was chatting to somebody about it. We did an LCC on AI. Our, our SLOD member mentioned it. One of the team members um, actually came in and was like, oh, well, that's actually really changed my aunt's life. And I was like, that's amazing. Like, that is a luxury. Like, that's exactly what a luxury brand should be doing, connecting. And, and you know, they've got arguably the budgets and the time and the, the sort of technology to actually make a difference. So they're doing it. Sorry, the, the privilege of, of owning quite a lot of the cultural narrative. It's a responsibility that you've got to use for good and not just sit on it and monetize it and actually selfridges is a really good example of that so i worked with them so i mean this is really showing my age but i worked with them on the first ever project ocean they did which was maybe like 13 years ago or something and it was it was the first conversation ever about the fact that sea life was you know was in jeopardy and and you know there was there was huge sustainability issues in that and and you know they you know they did amazing things and actually partnered with so many um so many amazing industry bodies as well as doing sort of consumer facing um educational piece and um and you know they actually even managed to change the law as a result of this campaign this called projectation they, that subsequently has been i guess expanded to project earth and it continues, I'm sure, into something else. The whole thing back then was using their influence for good and exactly as you say, using that cultural narrative for purpose. And, you know, purpose is a bit of a buzzword, but it's it's valid. And where these luxury brands do have this amazing influence, it's amazing to see them utilize that. Zooming out a bit, you know, you talk about purpose and diversity inclusion but to wider sustainability as as a sort of wider term do you think that uh, luxury brands are truly now leading on the wider area of sustainability or there's a little bit of catch-up still to go I mean I don't know because you know arguably they're in many ways the source of so much of the problem so in reality for fashion the the changing climate threatens so many things supply chains consumer preferences, regulatory forces, like, and if it's not part of their, you know, forefront of their agenda, it absolutely should be. Obviously, all the sort of, you know, the the, the big fish, you know, the Richemonts, the Kerrings, and the LVMHs have got these amazing, 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 you know, pledges and, and policies throughout their companies and throughout their different brands that they own. But I don't know, to be honest, it's very difficult to, to sort of do a broad brush. P- possibly the industry is full of as many good players or bad players as any other or any other sector or, or, or grouping and um and it's about it's about that really i think i think the most important thing is that the consumer gen z obviously is like you know the, the talk of the town for luxury like you know luxury brands and especially fashion we, we love talking to the next consumer indeed the sort of you know obviously gen z is very much alive and kicking now but but we're you know we're all about sort of the young, the young, the young. And they have, I think it's something like 76% globally of Gen Z have expressed anxiety about climate change and, and, and it would inform their purchases. So that is enough said. So if these consumers care about it enough, they will have to act. Well, it is because of good business sense, frankly. So, you know, we hope that if it's if it's not stemming from a sort of sense of responsibility, that it's at least coming from that. Gen Z is interesting in the sense that there's sort of this anxiety, you know, about climate change that's been part of their narrative for a long time and and well documented but it's actually really nice to see that sort of climate anxiety turn to more optimism so you know there are lots of lots of sort of, of influences and things like that and and really really cool especially in America um innovators are taking meaningful action 
And you see Gen Z's response online to that. Even like there's this kid in Louisiana who founded this thing called Glass Half Full, which is, I guess, it's basically the state's glass recycling facility. And then it uses the glass to restore the sand um, of the eroding coastline. And, and it's like this had this amazing response and like this really cool thing. And it's, I guess, it's like turning what is something that, if it's anxiety, I guess consumer often the reaction is to turn the back on it and 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 ignore it because it's too hard and too difficult and evokes these really negative connotations. Whereas is it is turning to positivity, then it's great. And brands obviously can really engage with that. Brands can use this positivity and actually, you know, use I guess I guess use this sort of wave and ride this wave of of being part of the solution and and encouraging that yeah do you know that's a real theme of the guests we've had on this podcast is um you know people who aren't there i say at daily mail reading lunatics who actually have a sense of optimism they're incredibly positive about the younger generation coming up and their responsibility on this stuff and and hence have a vaguely positive outlook about the future in a way that if you read a lot of mainstream press it's just doom 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 it's it's in, that's come up a few times actually rosie actually i know for a fact that innovation topics like ai or dare i say it the metaverse or all of those things that they're, they're hot topics at the lcc and at, at the events what is your view what's what's any standout innovation in the sector i mean we can't not mention and talk about ai because it's obviously the biggest game changer at the moment the thing is in reality luxury brands have been using ai to segment consumers and create bespoke experiences for years. And this isn't, you know, just because it's now open source doesn't really change that. There is huge opportunity and and some of it will be consumer facing. You know, lots of brands at the moment are doing these fun creative showcases and demonstrations of this sort of innovative mindset, which we've talked about, which is really cool and really fun to see and, you know, entertaining and and, and all of that. Um, but but most of it will be behind the scenes. But it's early days. And I think, I think there are more... I guess more prevalent topics at the moment, which we we're doing a lot on AI at LCC. Of course, we are like, and you know there are there are many efficiencies to be had within the marketing communication function, which you and I are going to talk about a little bit more later. I hope, and um and and which is really cool, and and there's loads to do. But I think you know topics like, I guess where decentralization, for example, much bigger topic that I'm much more excited to explore and 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 see huge potential and, and I'm really intrigued to know where it goes and and so decentralization as as I'm talking about it and I'm sure there's many definitions but obviously first of all there were marketplaces and then luxury services that were previously reserved for the elite suddenly are accessible so uber you know you've got your private chauffeur you've got your beauty service that comes to your door reference you know giving your glam so what was normally for celebrities and then you can hire your amazing dress your amazing bag blah 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 um, so all these lovely things, which are now much more accessible. And then decentralization is now it's going to the next step. So it's suddenly democratization of social platforms. And there's this really, really interesting platform called Niche. So previously, of course, on Instagram, what if you post it, they then own it, you know, whatever it is, what it is. But I think that platforms like Niche, I guess they've just got such potential to open the door to new ownership models and, and I guess change how brands and consumers interact. If you can own or co-own your own digital experience, like that's different and that changes everything. So niche is a bit like a crypto model. You know, they, they put the control in people's hands and um, members are owners, much like the stock market. And um, and then that group, of course, becomes more desirable because it's closed door and more exclusive and therefore ownership stake would go up as the as the ownership progresses so it's and then there's, there's huge opportunity for that so i'm i'm sort of tracking stuff like that much more closely 
than I am AI at the moment because I think that's really niche. It's really smart. And I think it's going to pop up everywhere over the next, um, I, I mean, I hope it's not a sort of just a, you know, tactical thing that, that you know, has a flash in the pan. Yeah, it's uh, I'm fascinated because AI, exactly that, uh, a bit like actually, so, you know, NFTs, cryptos, that completely distracted from, from a conversation around a load more interesting and relevant things like how blockchain could be used in digital ownership and or, or digital twins. And AI is, which has been going on for, for 100 years, is confusing many more interesting applications of technology that are related directly or indirectly to AI fine, but um, is just innovation in general. Um, we've just done a podcast on digital IDs for products in fashion, and that itself is a mind-bendingly large topic that will transform uh, you know, everything from after sales to sustainable procurement, et cetera, et cetera. And all people want to talk about is AI, obviously. Well, it's a nice break from NFTs, frankly, <laughs> which is, I mean, I think they have really served a purpose. I'm not, you know, completely dismissing NFTs. And I think, again, I keep saying this, but these sort of, all these brands that wanted to be first movers and seen as innovative have, have, have used them really nicely and it's really cool. And, you know, they've, they've done some really fun things. And actually, you know, loyalty programs have changed completely as a result of NFTs, which is, you know, in the end, it's, it's all about data and consumer interaction, you know, whether whether it's membership tiers and surprise and delight moments or experiential rewards, you know, taking them to fancy events or just access to sort of exclusive services or whatever format it might take. The only marked difference is that this NFT is a tactical tool, just has this like very, very cool sort of, I guess it, it says something about the mindset of the purchaser or seemingly they want to be part of this consumer group that's got this sort of techie cool mindset. And and it's and it's worked really well. There's this restaurant in um, New York called the Fly Fish Club. I don't know if you've heard about this. It's really interesting. Like they've basically got NFT based ownership. So it says membership, but essentially the members own seemingly the the, the restaurant. And um, I don't know actually how much they own of it. You know, we could do some digging, but but that's the whole point. And then they lease their NFT, i.e. their membership, out to their mates who then get temporary membership who then can go to the restaurant. And it's it's gimmickly, yeah, totally, but it's really like fun and cool and like highly talkable. And um, and it's it's just like one of those things that you're like, oh yeah, okay, I can see that working for a bit. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And then there's some fundamental stuff underneath it that is more more long lasting. So um, my final question before we go to the outro questions is is actually where, where you see the LCC in 10 years time or, or, or in, in the medium to longer term. Where, where do you see it? Global domination, of course. I think, you know, going back to our original, original mission, we want everyone in luxury and comms to be equipped with the best insights, the best tools um, and hear from the best speakers. And And I think we, you know, we've done some great work being champions of innovation across the sector. And I think that, you know, that will continue, but we just want to do more. And there are some amazing sort of global communities, especially in the tech world, actually, that that are really inspirational to me and how we can sort of take this further and, and just, yeah, and just making sure that everyone is basically top of their game and i've no doubt that will come true you're extremely determined and um it's going it's pointing that that way um rosie thanks we've got the same four questions for all of our guests and they're going to ask them the first is um what most irritates you about your industry um so easy one for me um slowness to adapt 
the GQ editor put it really beautifully, actually. He called it pearl clutching, which is essentially like, yeah, a, a, a brilliant visual representation of, of how the industry, the old luxury industry was slow to adapt and, and, and didn't want to move on. And it's time. So that irritates me. But hopefully we're helping solve that problem. Yeah, that makes sense. Second question is, what most concerns you about the world we're leaving the next generation? Oh, where to start? I've got, I've got two kids and one on the way. So my concerns slightly change daily. You know, things present problems and resolve themselves within a few decades. So I think it's futile to fixate on anything in particular at the moment, but I'll keep you posted. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, too much there. Third question, penultimate one. Um, if you had to give up your job tomorrow doing what you currently do, what would you do? Well, I'm certainly an entrepreneur at heart, so I probably would set up something else. I know we haven't really spoken about Shepherd Communications, but um, I mean, that's a, an interesting company in itself in the sense that our whole premise is about making brands relevant. So it is bringing brands up to date. We, we did the Platinum Jubilee last year for Buckingham Palace. We work with big drinks brands, big hotel brands, and we do big, big scale events. If I couldn't do LCC, I'd probably do more of that. Um, but if I'm not allowed to do either of those, then, then I probably would probably do a product um, service industry, as you well know, Fred, is is you know you can only stretch yourself so thin. So it's it can be very challenging. So maybe a product and try something new and see how that goes. And last question: This is um, more about you personally. For the next five years, what's the most exciting thing for you? Uh, global domination of LCC. Fair enough. Rosie, thank you so much for your time today. It's great to get to talk to you in this context, outside of the group context at LCC, and to hear your thoughts. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. This has been What The Lux. You can find us on socials at Matterform and drop us any questions or comments on Twitter using the hashtag WhatTheLux. Or if you're a luxury brand looking for strategy and design that goes beyond the banal, get in touch via hello at matchreform.com and chat to one of our consultants.